Welcome back to another episode of The Follower. I hope that you are doing well and getting along uh, safely through this crazy time in history. Things are still, as, as I record this, tomorrow will be uh, in the month of July. This is June 30th and entering into these dog days of, of summer. And things are still very unsettled and uncertain. And it can get a little old, can it? Not knowing what the future holds, even in our day-to-day lives. And not only the things that are going on uh, in the world and all around us, uh, also just the things that are going on inside of us, our own personal uh, struggles and cares and then anxieties in life and all of the things that we go through as human beings. And uh, today I want to start a, uh, a series. Uh, so this will be a series of podcasts. You can check back periodically. That I'd like to begin on the book of Revelation and just really feeling... Uh, in my own life, the need to, to focus in on Christ and what the future holds for everyone who follows Jesus, who loves Jesus, who has turned to Jesus in faith for their salvation, uh, confessing their sin, repenting of it, and, and just receiving the free gift of eternal life that God the Father offers through His only Son, Jesus Christ. And in the book of Revelation, a lot of people, I don't know if it's a lot, but there have been several who've approached me about what's going on in the world and my thoughts on the book of Revelation. And um, I'm reading a book, and many of the, uh, the thoughts that I share with you on these podcasts will come from this book that I'm reading that I just purchased. It's called All Things New, Revelation as Canonical Capstone. And it's more of a uh, an academic book. I guess you would qual- uh, categorize it as an academic book. It's from the New Studies in Biblical Theology series. It's written by a man by the name of Brian Tabb, T-A-B-B. And I've enjoyed this series quite a bit, and I'm, I would recommend it, but just keep in mind that, that a book like this is more technical, and if you're into those sort of things and you like to go really deep into theology and the use of the original languages, in this case the, the Greek, but also the Hebrew and references to the Old Testament that come up, then I would recommend it. But I'm going to just share some of the things that I think are, uh, I guess, highlights for me as I've been reading through this book, and then just share them with you. So a lot of the things that I'm going to discuss on these podcasts will come from this book, and then I'll share my own thoughts on on this as well. If you're expecting a uh, a podcast on on the book of Revelation, where I'm going to uh, really get into details of 
biblical prophecy, the date of Christ's return, the identity of the Antichrist, uh, the mystery of the number of the B666, these sort of things, and then you're you're probably going to be disappointed. I'm not I'm not going to do that. Uh, there are different approaches to interpreting Revelation, but what I want to do is just go through some of these major themes and highlights, uh, the major characters in the book of Revelation, and to just discuss those things on, on, I guess you would say, a more practical level. So that's kind of my goal and approach in these podcasts. They may be 10, 15 minutes long, maybe 20 at, at most. And I'll read a chapter and then post uh, a podcast after I read the chapter. So I hope you enjoy it. So a couple of things just before we jump into really the meat of this uh, teaching segment. Uh, The book of Revelation is, and by the way, it is the book of Revelation, not Revelations. A lot of people put the S on the end. It's not plural. It's a singular revelation that John, uh, well, that's the title that John, John receives, and that's the very first uh, statement or sentence verse in this book. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so in the book of, of Revelation, it's important to just make mention of the author of the book. Many of you perhaps already know that this is written by the Apostle John and John identifies himself in chapter 1, verse 9. He calls himself uh, the brother, his brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. And John is being persecuted. He's a persecuted Christian and follower of Jesus Christ who has been exiled to an island called Patmos. And John himself records, again in in verse 9 of chapter 1, that he was on this island, Patmos, he says, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so he is clearly being persecuted for his faith. He is on this Uh, island exiled and it is because of his allegiance to Jesus Christ being a true follower of Jesus in the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he is uh, the author of this book called Revelation and he is writing to other brothers and sisters, other Christians in and around this uh, uh, Europe and, and Asia who are also suffering 
for their faith in Jesus Christ. So it's important to just make note of that because the theme of persecution for Jesus is something that is carried through from the very first uh, verses here of Revelation all the way through the end. It's written by a Christian who is being persecuted, and it's written to Christians who are being persecuted in the first century Roman Empire because of the word of God and the testimony of their faith. So in this book that I've been reading by Brian Tabb, he breaks down the book and structures it a little bit differently. It's not a verse-by-verse commentary, but he takes different themes and he separates them into different parts in the book. In the first part, he pretty much commits himself to looking at each member of the Trinity. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and how each one plays a an important and prevalent part in the book of Revelation. And so today in this podcast, I'm going to just look at the first member of the triune God, God the Father, and we'll talk about God the Father and his role in the book of Revelation. And then in the next podcast, I'll talk about Christ, God the Son, and then the next one I'll talk about God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So the next three podcasts will be looking at each member of the Trinity and how they uh, play a huge part in this book of Revelation. So the focus then of this particular podcast will be on God the Father. And in his book, All Things New, Brian Tabb has a chapter that he entitles The Sovereign on the Throne, God at the Center. And in this chapter, as he looks at the role of God the Father in the book of Revelation, he identifies five divine titles that the book of Revelation uses for God the Father. Five divine titles. And I'm going to just give you those five, and I'm just going to focus on one of them. Uh, The first one, the first divine title for God in the book of Revelation is the one who is and who was and who is to come. The second of the five divine titles that he identifies for God the Father in Revelation is the Alpha and the Omega. And the third is the Lord God Almighty. The fourth of the five is the Holy One on the throne, and the fifth divine title that is used throughout the book of Revelation for God the Father is the Sovereign Creator. And uh, Tab, in this book, takes each one of those five divine titles in this chapter, and he elaborates on the importance of each in the book of Revelation. I'm not going to go through each of the five, but I want to focus on one in particular, and that one in particular is this uh, idea or the, the title of the Holy One on the Throne. The Holy One on the Throne. Uh, the, the term throne in the book of Revelation is used 40 times. 
And think about that for a second. When you think of a throne, there are obviously other things that are associated with a, a throne. And this is the throne of God. And so the first thing that I think about when I think of uh, the throne of God is I think of a king. I think that this idea that is so prevalent in Revelation 40 times where the throne of God is mentioned, it is reminding us, it's reminding the, the original hearers and audience of this book. It's reminding John when he received this revelation and he sees God on the throne that God is the ultimate king of the universe. In the midst of other kings, the Roman emperors, the Caesars, whoever it may be, God is the ultimate king. It also reminds me of where this throne is. It's, it's God's throne. It's a heavenly throne, we're told. And so that has significance because God as the ultimate king is, is the supreme high God. There is no one higher in rank or in rule than God himself. And it also speaks of God's sovereignty. The throne uh, is equated with God's sovereignty, where he is sitting on the throne in heaven as the ultimate supreme high king who is presiding over the course of history just as he intends. And if you have a Bible, you probably uh, would want to turn now to the fourth chapter of Revelation. Because in this chapter, uh, chapter 4 of Revelation, the, the word throne or the throne of God is used 12 times. 12 of the 40 times in the book of Revelation, we find it here in Revelation chapter 4. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, I'd encourage you at this time maybe to, to turn to Revelation 4 if you're using a, uh, an electronic uh, device of some sort, a smartphone or a tablet, then go ahead and tap to Revelation chapter 4, and we're going to discuss this throne of God in this chapter. If this fourth chapter of Revelation isn't the most majestic chapter in the Bible, it's, it's definitely right up there with what would be the most majestic if it's not itself. It, it, it's an amazing glimpse into the heart of heaven and... The, the very throne room of, of God, and we get to read about it. And in this fourth chapter, we learn all kinds of things of what's happening around this throne and on the throne and who's there and what they're doing. And we see that the king who is on this throne, uh, his appearance is is brilliant he's sitting there it says in verse 3 and his appearances of jasper carnelian 
this brilliant vision of God, the Father, that John receives. We read about a rainbow that is around this throne that has uh, the appearance of, uh, of an emerald. Again, just this fine jewel and stone. There are 24 smaller, uh, lesser thrones that are around the throne of, of God. And on these thrones are 24 elders, and these 24 elders are all wearing gold crowns. There's flashes of lightning and thunder and other sounds and rumblings around this throne. There are seven flaming torches in, and in front of the throne. There's a, a, a glass sea that's spread out that, that extends before the throne. And then there's these four uh, angelic uh, beings, these four living creatures, one in front, one in back, one on the right, one on the left of the throne of God, one that looks like a lion and one that looks like an ox and one that looks like a man and one that looks like an eagle. And if you want to, and if you are taking notes, you could make mention or reference of a few passages in the Old Testament, which also give us a glimpse of the throne room of God that maybe would be, uh, you know, strong contenders for uh, the, the most majestic passages of Scripture. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 7. All of these we read about the throne of God. But uh, Revelation 4 may be the most supreme of all of them, perhaps, and it's just incredible. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, have a response. They say something in the midst of God on his throne. And that's what I, I want to focus on, these responses to God's greatness and his glory, to his sovereignty, to the fact that he is the supreme, most high king of the universe, sitting on the throne and ruling over the affairs of the world, the events of history, and even of our own individual lives. And how do they respond to these truths of who God is, and how should we respond based on their response to God the Father? And let's look at these responses. Again, there's two of them. There's responses of the four living creatures, and then there's the response of the 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4. Let's take a look at that. Why don't you read those verses uh, just quietly, if you, if you haven't already. Read uh, through Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Revelation 4.8 says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes, 
all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. In this first response in Revelation 4 that we see of the the four living creatures, it's not a lot that they're saying as far as a, a word count, but the depth of what they are saying is incredibly deep and wide. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the, that three chord uh, of, of holiness that they are exclaiming as God sits on his throne, I think, uh, also correlate one holy, there's three holies, right? Holy, holy, holy. And there's one holy for each of the next verse of what they exclaim. Who was, who is, and who is to come. And so when I read through this, and this isn't something that uh, Tab mentions in his book, it's something that that I've been thinking about, that these creatures are acknowledging God's holiness. To, to be holy is to be set apart like none other. God, there is no one else like this God. God is the true God. He's the king of kings. He's, uh, he's the supreme high God who is seated on his throne in heaven, who is in control of everything. In that sense, he is holy. There's no one like him, and he is perfect. There's no sin in him. There cannot be sin in his presence. What he does is righteous. So whatever he does in heaven or on earth is the right thing. And and he is holy. There's no one else like him. There's none of us on earth who can claim this for ourselves. And these creatures say that God is holy, holy, holy. But then they go into these, uh, these three separate ways that God is holy, I believe. That he is holy in who he was, or who was, and who is, and who is to come. And here we see the past, the present, and the future. And what what I'm taking away from this as I reflect and pray through it is that God is holy, he is righteous, he is perfect in all his ways and, and how he has dealt with his people in the past and how he is dealing with his children right now in the present and how he will deal with the course of history and with us in the future who was who is who is to come he is holy 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 who was who is and is to come and i think that would bring john comfort in the midst of his great trial and tribulation that he was going through. And that's what he calls it. He calls it tribulation. 
He was going through the tribulation for John. Uh, this would have been great comfort and peace to those who he is writing to who are suffering dearly because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And God gives John this revelation. John is able to then write it and communicate it to those on earth who are suffering to remind them that God is on his throne and he is holy in what he has done in the past and what he is doing right now, even in the midst of suffering and pain. God is still on the throne. He is still holy. And he is holy in what he will do in the future. But don't ever stop declaring his greatness. And then there is the response of the, the 24 elders. In verse 10, it says, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so in this response, the response of the 24 elders, we see that God the Father is called worthy. Uh, worthy uh, in the sense that, that he is deserving of these things that they are going to mention. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. Deserving are you, Lord and God, to receive these things. And the three things they mention are glory and honor and power. That God is deserving to receive these things. And this, this uh, verb receive is interesting in the Greek because it's, it's, um, it's really more in the connotation of God receiving something that he's taken. So worthy, deserving are you, God, to, to take the glory and the honor and the power. These belong to, to you. And so these 24 elders who were given these golden crowns were now uh, casting them before God's throne. Uh, a crown is something a, a king wears, right? So it's as though they're saying, we're, we're not deserving. Uh, we're not worthy to, to have these crowns on. Uh, we shouldn't be receiving any sort of glory or honor or power. Uh, you alone created everything. And it's by your will that they existed and were created. So take these off our heads and give them back to, to you, God. You are the true God. You are the one who is sitting on the throne. We're on these lesser thrones, but we don't, we don't deserve to receive any of this glory. It all should go to you. And so they cast their thrones onto God, who is sitting on his throne. And in the context of the book of Revelation, I think this is good and it's consistent that what they're saying is, God, you take it back. Okay, you, you are worthy and deserving to take the glory, 
So the glory that maybe God has divvied out, earthly glory to, to lesser kings and elders and leaders or whoever it may be, there, there is going to be a time when all of that just goes back to God. All of that is temporary glory. All of that is fleeting glory. Power is temporary power for the kings on the of the earth that we're going to see. It's going to look like Satan has power. It's going to look like the unholy trinity of the Antichrist and the false prophet and the beast. It looks like they have all of this power, but God's going to take it back because he's the only one deserving of that. And so for us in our life, in this day and age that we live in, I think the takeaway is we do the same thing. We acknowledge that God is holy, that he is on his throne, that there is no one higher than him, that he has the right to do whatever he wants, whatever he pleases, that he has been faithful and righteous in the past, and he is faithful and righteous now in the present, and he will be faithful and righteous in the future. And that any glory or honor or power that we see other leaders or kings or nations have on this earth are fleeting and ultimately will go back to God who will take that glory to himself because he's the only one who is deserving. And that should bring us peace and comfort as we follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God bless you as you consider these things. Thank you for listening. This was a little longer podcast than what I was anticipating. And uh, listen, feel free to share this with others. Uh, pass the link to friends if it's somehow encouraging to you. And if for some reason you want to communicate something to me or give me some suggestions or input, if you um, don't already have my email, I have several of them. The easiest way to get a hold of me is to email me. Uh, if you don't already have an email address for me, to send an email to michael at thefollower.net. michael at thefollower.net. And I'd love to hear from you. To God be the glory. Praying for you. Please pray for me and for our loved ones as well. Uh, who are serving the Lord, our brothers and sisters all over the world during this very interesting time in the world. Keep your, your mind uh, focused on things above. So we tried to do today. God is on the throne in control. God bless you. See you next time.